Hello, everybody, and good morning. Welcome into the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank, sponsored by Suit Up. Happy to have you with me on a Wednesday. We got a loaded show for you. Associate Head Baseball Coach for Louisiana's Raging Cajuns, Anthony Babineau, will be joining me in the 8 o'clock hour. Maddie Hudak of Saints Wire. She uh, also uh, is on with our family once on the show. Maddie is uh, the author for USA Today's The Saints Wire, and she will join us about 7.15 to talk a little Saints. So we'll do Cajuns, we'll do Saints, do a little Pels. want to start off with two things. I kind of referenced it yesterday, but one leads into another, and that is Aaron Rodgers and the betting market, okay? I don't really gamble. Having said that, if there was a legal sports book in Louisiana, and I get it, you can do it online, I might gamble a little, but I'm never going to be one that goes deep inside and just gets the most what might seem like obscure, minute bets. However, what I do like to do is follow the betting market because I think you can learn things about how the pro bettors, the 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 one percenters that actually make money on sports bet yearly, and that's what they do for a living, what they feel about certain situations. I mean, the handicappers, the pro bettors, they, I, I don't know how they get the insight that they have into things, but I'll look at their insight and try to get some for myself. All right, let, let's let's look at the Aaron Rodgers situation right now in Green Bay. Okay, things look from the outside like they're getting worse. Right, you got what Rappaport tweeting things straight from the GM's mouth, like, um, oh, you know, people forgetting that Green Bay actually tried to draft a receiver last year, but a few were taken, and then they just had to settle on Jordan Love. And yeah, yeah, okay, sure. Seems like damage control. Green Bay's realizing, you know, we really don't want him to leave because we're not going to be that good. You got Terry Bradshaw absolutely just going on shows and lambasting Aaron Rodgers, just ripping into him. He was on the, um, make sure I get the show name right, the uh, WFAN's Moose and Maggie show. Not pulling any punches. Um, and we understand why. You know who could be using a few drinks right now is the whole front office in Green Bay, Terry. I mean, and maybe Aaron Rodgers, too, after this crazy weekend. So, okay, we know that Rodgers yeah. is not happy with the organization. There's a chasm between the two. Does Rodgers right. have a right to be this upset with the Packers? With him being that upset shows me just how weak he is. Who the hell cares who you draft? I mean, I never – he's a three-time MVP in the league, and he's worried about this guy they drafted last year at number one. Now, I don't know what was said behind the scenes. I don't know what – if he said, look, I'll play this year, and then I won't out of here, and they said, fine. Then he's the MVP in the league. I don't know. None of us know uh, unless he told some insiders, and they're saying it. I don't hear it. And for him to be upset, my God, 
I don't understand that. Pittsburgh drafted Mark Malone number one, Cliff Stout in the third or fourth round. I had I had them coming at me from all angles. Uh, I embraced it because when we went to practice, I wasn't worried about those guys. You know, it didn't scare me a bit. So I don't understand why he's so upset uh, at Green Bay. And then, then if they fired the general manager, he'll come back. Are you kidding me? Really? Aaron, that's, that's where this is. Here's what I'd do. I wouldn't budge. Let him gripe. Let him cry. Retire. You're 38. Go ahead and retire. See you later. I mean, I'm really strong about stuff like that. And it just makes him look weak. In my way of looking, it makes him look weak. You know, Bradshaw went on to say more and I think actually called him dumber than a box of rocks. <laughs> Coming from Terry Bradshaw. R-O-C. Yeah, what's your point? R-O-K. What's your point? R-O-C-K. Shout out Billy Madison. You got Devontae Adams out there sending out tweets like, you got to appreciate what you got while you got it. Cryptic? Yeah, a little bit. So I mentioned it yesterday. Look look at the betting market. Look at the lines a little bit. How maybe, you know, you can look at the straight-up betting line where the Raiders are 5-1. to one. You know, the favorite of, in terms of where he'll play next year is Green Bay at plus 125. Then you got Denver right there at like 2-1. to one. So what about the over-under betting totals next year? How do they change through the draft, and how do they change through these rumors that Aaron Rodgers would like to play in either Denver or possibly Vegas? So the Raiders, prior to the draft in this Aaron Rodgers news, they had an over-under win total betting li- betting-wise of the majority of sports books in Vegas at 7.5. Okay? And... You know, 10% chance betting-wise of Rodgers going to Vegas. Even with that, since the draft, their over-under win total has actually dropped a half a game from 7.5 to 7. So that tells you the pro bettors absolutely hate the Raiders. Everybody was ripping on John Gruden. Gruden does feel like he's just, I I mean, I, I said it when they, Gave him that 10-year deal. I said, it just feels like he's been away from the game a little too long. I don't care that he was in the booth call Monday Night Football. I I just don't think it's going to work, and it hasn't thus far. But the point is, if they had Rodgers, their their win total would go from seven to, like, only nine. Why? Because they have an atrocious defense. Now, it's still still increased by two games, which is a whole lot, and – but the fact that that coming out of the draft, their over-under win total from a betting line drop tells you the odds of him going to Vegas a little slim, even though Vegas, I think, could offer a, a decent package. Then you got the Denver Broncos. Their win total would go from 7.5 to 10.5 if Aaron Rodgers ended up there. Coming off of the draft, Denver's current over-under win total increased an entire game from 7.5 to 8.5. And it's not because of their draft. It's because of these rumors and the possibility of Aaron Rodgers ending up there. Their championship odds would go from in the twenties to the to the to the you know top five, top six. That's crazy, or is it? That's that's the, that's what the betting world is saying about boy. If Denver 
could get him. This is what would this is what it would look like. And you know they they've they got a package. They'd have to give them their first round pick, Patrick Sertain. They'd have to give them Tim Patrick. They'd have to give them their 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 next two first rounders for a guy that's what 30, 38? That's a lot. But you know what? Ask John Elway how he got that last Super Bowl. He had a great defense and a, a quarterback that was Really good for a few years, and ironically, when Peyton wasn't, you know, didn't have too much left in the tank from a physical standpoint, is when they broke through and won the Super Bowl. But you know, you know, Elliot would sign off on that for a second. Loaded defense, you had Aaron Rodgers. Denver would go right into the mix. They'd be one of the the, the top four or five in the Super Bowl without it. And I liked I like Teddy Bridgewater, but come on, let's be real, Aaron Rodgers. But look at follow. The lines, the betting lines always tell a story in the world of sports. Follow them closely. Not just week-to-week, game-to-game, and, okay, who's favored this week, next week? What does it say about the injury report? What does it say about this? But about where, if Rodgers is traded, the ripple effect will be felt throughout the entire NFL. Period. Ten minutes after the hour. I'm Scott Prather. It's the Great Scott Show, sponsored by Suit Up. Matty Hudak is going to join me coming up here in a couple of minutes. Anthony Babineau in studio for the 8 o'clock hour. We will get into Cajun baseball. Got, got a number of things I want to talk to Bab about with this team. That's happened. Got to take on huh, social media and when you are a superstar athlete... Big figure in the world of sports, always better to stay off of it. Well, you can get more money. Actually, I think there's a couple of examples that prove that's not true. I'll explain. That's all coming your way. Pelicans get a win last night because, of course, they do. Lonzo Ball goes for, what, 33 points and a win. Then in a loss to Golden State Monday, can't hit the side of a barn. Was he 3 of 18? Just an absolutely horrendous performance. And then last night goes for 33 again. Is just all over the place. Ingram has to leave with an injury, and and Lonzo and Zion take over. And they have a come-from-behind win in the fourth quarter, and they don't blow it once they have the lead. They seal the deal with clutch free throws. Honestly, the Pelicans are like Forrest Gump with a box of chocolates. You truly never, night to night, you take a bite, you have no idea what you're going to get. You don't. What team's showing up tonight? And every time it's like, yeah, they're pretty much done. And look, I do not think they're going to make the play-in game for the record. I don't. But the fact that they just keep winning just enough and Spurs just enough that they can't be eliminated quite yet gives the fan base this sense of hope. Although I'm going to tell you, you're going to be crushed. They're going to blow it. But when they win, when it happens, it's fun. It's fun. Don't go anywhere. Matty Hudak, writer for the Saints Wire, podcaster, sports radio analyst. She is on um, weekly for an entire show with our good friend Gus Cattengill over there at ESPN NOLA. She's going to join us next, talk a little bit about the Saints, the draft, and her thoughts on maybe where Rodgers would end up next and what kind of ripple effects that would have.
Bab in the 8 o'clock hour. A deep dive into social media and its impact on the superstar athlete. Doing more harm than good? I think so. We'll tell you why. It's all coming your way. It's the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. The show is sponsored by Suit Up. Suit Up, boot up, don't go anywhere. Lock it in. We're back in two minutes with Matty Hudak on ESPN 1420. Fans, it's your boy Lonzo Ball, New Orleans Pelicans, and you're listening to The Great Scott Show with Scott Prather on ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Thank you, Lonzo Ball. The pendulum swings night to night with him, much like he does with the Pelicans. Zion, after his atrocious performance Monday, and said, I'll bounce back tomorrow, and uh, boy, he did in a big way. Uh, I'll be there. Pretty simple text. Joining us now to talk about the other team Gail Benson owns, among other things, and talk some Saints, is Matty Hudak, first-time guest of this show, but no to sports radio and covering the Saints here in South Louisiana. She uh, writes for Saints Wire. As I mentioned um, earlier, she is on weekly, uh, hosting an hour a week with our good friend Gus Cattengale and I've known Gus for many years, Matty. Um, what's it like hosting with him? What's what's the thing he does that annoys you the most? Just tell me so I can mess with him. So, Matty, I, I um, sorry, I, I didn't have my uh, my mic in the right thing. Now, no. now you can hear me. Here we go. So, so tell me something about. I just gave you this great intro, and you didn't get to hear any of it. My apologies. Um, <laughs> tell us something that uh, uh, that annoys you about Gus, just so I can mess with him next time I talk to him. <laughs> Um, that he thought the uh, Saints should have uh, gone for it during the Denver Broncos game when there was no quarterback on the other side. We got into a very heated argument about this yesterday, so tell him that he's wrong there. Okay. No, I will. I will 100% bring it up, and uh, I won't back down, <laughs> and uh, I'll just, uh, you know, I have his back when it comes to Roosters attacking his kid, but when it comes to the Saints, you know, I, I think I might just have to go team Maddie on this and just uh, see what I can get out of see if I can get him riled up a little bit oh uh, it, it, it won't take long I was like we're, this is really getting this mad over a game that had no real quarterback <laughs> out there and I get god that <laughs> game was that, that, I mean of all of watching Saints games my entire life that was probably like there were a couple of wins in the Ditka era that were that were just <laughs> Uh, you would you would describe as quote ugly, I guess. Even though you know, mm-hmm. uh, some would say this thing is an ugly win. They're all pretty. You win, I get it. But like I remember being a game like when they beat Tampa nine to three, and you yeah. didn't win much back then. But it was just kind of like, ugh, you know. And that Denver game this year, it was such a just. Uh, there was this ex- there was this weird excitement before it. Like Denver doesn't have a quarterback, but history tells you the Saints might do this or that, and it just played out exactly the way it was supposed to. And um, from a viewing standpoint, it's about as uh, – it just felt like I was doing homework instead of, like, enjoying a Saints win. Oh, yeah. You know? It was it was one of the worst games I've ever watched, but that was the game plan, in my opinion. It, it was just to make it a non-game. So what, what – uh, give us give our listeners a little bit about your history and how you, you got into uh, covering the Saints. Sure. Um, so I, I'm from the Bay Area originally, um, but my mom and her, and her side of the family are from New Orleans. Uh, so 
uh, that that took precedence over uh, you know the 49ers when I grew up. Um, and ha- having my last name, you know, sound Hudak Hudat certainly uh, helped with that one. Um, but I-, I really didn't start covering them until uh, last year during lockdown. Quite honestly, I was in a different career field, uh, and it was just kind of a nice, you know, version of escapism for myself. And then kind of realizing, you know, that that was, um, you know, mutual on the other end. If I could kind of pr- provide that for other people during last year. Um, and so I just kind of, you know, got more and more into it. Um, I happenstance, you know, got laid off at my last job during the pandemic, uh, which honestly just kind of gave me an opportunity to focus on covering the Saints last year. Uh, so just kind of, you know, series of uh, random events kind of stumbled me into this almost, honestly. Well, it's cool, um, you know, this podcast, hearing you on with Gus. And uh, overall, when it comes to a draft, you know, I, I was talking with my friend Luke Johnson yesterday about Raz and how most fans aren't interested mm-hmm. in it, and I get it. Like it's not, it's not mainstream, and the nature of an NFL draft is, it's it's all kind of just the, the popularity of it. In my opinion, is just a build up to it, right? It's all the what ifs and movement and rumors oh, yeah. and and sort of what could potentially be behind door A is like you know, in a fan's mind, it's like this these endless possibilities. When in reality. You know, it's behind door B or C is more like what we saw the Saints do. And so there's this disappointment, even though no one knows. Like, you know, all these instant draft grades, we'll know in a couple of years. Um, So having said that, was there still a part of you that was like, was there any part of you that was kind of let down a little bit? Like watching the Saints, even in a win beat Denver, you're watching the draft, you're like, okay. Well, it you know, Drafting in the trenches first, I think, definitely threw a lot of people off, especially people that were kind of wanting skill positions. Uh, I, I always tend to just kind of wait and let it play out. Uh, like you said, there's to me, you can't really even evaluate a draft pick until at least three years after the fact because a lot of people you know, have a year one vision and, and then a year three vision. Uh, but I, I can't say that I wasn't caught a little off guard initially uh, you know, by the first pick, but by the end of day two, you know, it, it became clear to me that there, the, the needs that people were kind of, uh, you know, screaming to be filled, those, those were the ones that were filled on, on day two and day three. And just what stuck out to me was that, you know, they, they stuck to their process of, of drafting who they felt was the best player available at, you know, each pick and, and not reaching, you know, for a need-based pick, uh, especially with that 28 coming more into it looking at what type of talent would be available at those skill roles. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the Peyton Turner pick makes more and more sense as you kind of look at the draft holistically. ESPN 1420, Matty Hudak is our guest. Um, cornerbacks, uh, obviously, some would say the biggest need for the Saints. They got one, but not until round three. Um I think, you know, from what I've read from folks that I talked to, I'm not going to sit here and say I've went and watched all this film uh, but I, mm-hmm. I know, I know a few people that do, right? Um, and right. Um, they, they've all kind of said the same thing. Like, seems like really high upside, but still raw, right? Still needs, mm-hmm. still needs some work to get there. Um, wh- where do you think the Saints go next with cornerback? Because it's still, even at, you know, after the draft, now it still seems like the biggest need on this team. Sure. So I think that they got a steal in Paulson Adivo. To be honest with you, uh, the only affected his draft stock. Uh, is seemingly just his decision to opt out last season. Uh, you know, if you look at the way that he was being described, uh, even by Mel Kuyper, he was graded, you know, as 
the 14th highest player out of the 2019 season and second at the cornerback position only to Jeff Okuda. Uh, he led the nation in pass deflections from 2018 to 2019. And, and so when you look at all of those factors, you look at, you know, the fact that he went to Stanford, the Saints very much emphasized intelligence in all of their prospects this year. And I, I have kind of, you know, when you, you talk about that RAS score, that relative athletic score, um, you know, on its face, it, it's, you know, that zero to 10 measurement. And a lot of people picked up on the fact that the Saints drafted, uh, besides their fourth round Ian Book uh, pick, e- each draft pick had a score of nine or above. Uh, but I've been kind of looking closer into that. And there's a little bit more of an emphasis on the agility drills than, than one might lead to believe in almost every position. And, and almost looking through the other options, uh, even Greg Newsom, who was taken two spots before them at Cleveland, uh, you know, they, they all, uh, besides obviously, you know, J.C. Horn and those top cornerbacks, all graded lowly uh, in those agility categories that it, it kind of looks like historically the Saints value, particularly the three-cone drill. Uh, so, you know, looking at Paulson Adebo as a prospect, both from a, you know, potential standpoint and then, you know, him kind of meeting those check boxes, him meeting, you know, the site, uh, I'm sorry, the size, height requirements and everything like that. Uh, he has actually pretty good upper body strength as well uh, with his bench press abilities. So I think there's a lot of upside there. In terms of what I think the Saints do at corner, uh, Richard Sherman makes a lot of sense to me with them, Richard, him also being a Stanford alum. I mean, the story kind of writes itself if he's able to kind of come in and mentor this younger, you know, third-round pick in a Debo uh, where, you know, Richard Sherman wasn't viewed as highly coming out of uh, college as well. But you have to know that that intelligence is there being a Stanford graduate. Uh, so he, he's one of the more intriguing picks of the draft. Um, and, and I do think that he will have some type of a starting role, uh, you know, by the start of this season. I just think that, you know, due diligence would probably point to picking, you know, up, up a veteran on, on a vet minimum just for some assurance there as well. It's almost like it, it feels like Sherman, you know, he said it. Um, reason I haven't been signed yet is because of my age. It's that simple. He's 33. Uh, mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, I think the Niners and the Raiders and the Saints and the Seahawks as teams that he's been in contact with. But Pete Carroll came out this week and said, yeah, there's not really a reunion in the works. Kind of <laughs> waiting for the market to settle post-draft, it does seem like he's just going to go to the highest bidder, even if the bid isn't that high. And whether that's the Saints or the Raiders or possibly a return to the Niners, though I doubt it, it does. I- I'm with you. I think a lot of arrows continue to point toward him possibly being in New Orleans, and that begs the question, how much can you get out of a guy that's 33, and how is he going to be in a Saints defense that loves that sort of physical press coverage that they like to run? I just, I, 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 even if Sherman gets there, I still think the loss of Janoris Jenkins, you know, a lot of holes on this team, and outside of replacing, obviously, number nine, a quarterback, mm-hmm. I think replacing Jenkins is probably going to, in my opinion, is probably going to be the most difficult thing to do next season. Oh, I, I agree with you entirely. Um, you know, you, you think about the fact that we kind of signed Norris Jenkins in a series of, you know, rather odd, odd and unfortunate events and circumstances. Um, but thinking about, you know, how that secondary looked beforehand, when you have, you know, one half of the field that really couldn't be accounted for in, in you know, the, the combination of Eli Apple and then the others who'd kind of circulated through that role of late. And what I noticed as well is it wasn't just affecting that side of the field, but it almost stunted Marshawn Lattimore's growth to me 
because, you know, it's very hard to be focused on your zone, on your man assignments when you don't have that trust on the other side of the field. And I really felt like he got that in Jenkins. So that was a really hard loss for me. Uh, But, you know, just age speaking, he is only one year younger than Richard Sherman. Um, And and so, you know, I I would have to look more into, like you said, how much Richard Sherman fits in scheme-wise and everything. But you have to think, you know, with the Chris Richard coming in here, that whole legion of boom connection, if nothing else, he would know how to utilize Sherman to me. Uh, and so I think that's a really important factor as well about, you know, one of his old familiar coaches is the one that kind of came in and, and they would almost be duly tasked with mentoring this younger secondary and kind of what I've read on uh, on Sherman, you know, and, and how he's kind of made a lot of growth, uh, at least leadership-wise, since joining the 49ers. Uh, I think that he would be a good asset from, uh, you know, almost like that uh, – Malcolm Jenkins' perspective at the safety role, even though I think Malcolm Jenkins is still a very high-level player, uh, he also brought a sense of leadership to that safety position, and you kind of saw how that allowed Marcus Williams and C.J. Gardner-Johnson to really take off this year. So I do think that there is some value in just that, you know, insurance and having a veteran leader back there and not also having to put all of that leadership pressure on Marshawn Lattimore, who, in my opinion, you know, is still kind of in its full uh, growth still. ESPN1420.com, Matty Hudak of the Saints Wire, our guest. I'm Scott Prather. It's the great Scott show sponsored by Suda. The linebacker position, I mean, after DeMario Davis, it's it's really thin. Um, And they draft Pete Werner right there, 60 overall. And um, I know that the Saints, obviously, everyone points out they, they love the Ohio State players. They just haven't drafted a good linebacker since Jim Moore was the coach. I mean, literally, it's been since 1994, Mark Fields. It's been a long time. They've had some good linebackers come through, Davis, Vilma, to name a few, um, but they've all just come from elsewhere. They haven't been able to get it done mm-hmm. in the draft. Is Warner a guy, albeit he's a second-round pick, so he's not going to be graded on the same kind of curve as a first-round pick, but do you think Warner can can finally be a guy to break that cycle? I actually, I actually do, um, and and I've, I've noticed that as well. Uh, when I was kind of looking at free agency before the draft, uh, the Saints historically, like you said, they they don't draft linebackers very often. They tend to kind of seek them out in free agency, uh, and and I think the Warner Warner pick, he just wasn't so much in everyone's radar, but a lot of people in that same note were really high locks. Uh, to me, those those players could be kind of graded similarly. But what what stuck out to me about Pete Warner when I researched him was. The fact that Ohio State switched him uh, from, you know, playing like a Sam role and, and being a bullet linebacker uh, and being more of an outsider until the middle of last season, they, they kind of made a switch to move him to inside. And the way that he kind of responded to that and the reasons that they did so, seeing how he was kind of, you know, able to be such a powerful, you know, player off up the inside, and he really rose to that challenge. And so – Knowing the Saints have a two-linebacker system, knowing Demario Davis, you know, play Sam and Will and and my in all of those roles. If you also have a player next to him that is just as versatile, that allows you know the Saints to have a lot of freedom and be able to kind of you know interchange them. Uh, his scores athletically stand out to me, but the praise for his coverage abilities and his versatility and the way that he responds to coaching. And that's something that I really saw in the first three prospects is they all 
seem to, you know, be very receptive to coaching. And so I think the potential with Pete Werner is there. And he certainly, you know, in his presser after being drafted, you know, he came out and said being, the sa- being a saint is everyone's dream and just went on and on about everything he could bring to them, started talking about schemes. So I, I was very impressed initially by Pete Werner. Um, and, and like he said before, there are people that watch, you know, a lot of film on these people. He's actually someone I, I would like to, like, look into more. So I've kind of reserved my judgment on, you know, whether or not, and like you said, he's a second-round pick. So, uh, you know, what, what can we expect to kind of get out of him? But it at least is a much more prototypal pick than, you know, the Zach Bond pick last year, which we still kind of have yet to see the vision uh, with him there. So I, I think this was actually a pretty good pick that I just don't think a lot of people really had on their radar because they skipped Ohio State's pro day. Maddie Hudak, our guest, at Maddie Hudak underscore 94 on Twitter. That's M A D D Y H U D A K underscore 94 on Twitter. And uh, again, covering the Saints for USA Today's Saints Wire uh, with a last name like Hudak. I'm sure you have fun with that. Um, Ian Book, the one guy that did not have a RAV score <laughs> of nine or higher, a guy that felt very much like Sean Payton. You know, it feels like Sean Payton gets final say on anything, but this felt very much like, uh, I don't care what anyone else thinks, I really like this guy, I want to take him. Um, I also kind of, I get some of the angst from some fans that are like, why are you taking a fourth round pick on a guy that's just going to be a backup? But the reality is, a lot of times when you take someone in the fourth round, they're not, they're not a starter. I mean, that's... That's more rare than anything. So, uh, but it's it's kind of like if you're a backup at another position, you still might get on the field a little bit more, than, you know, second or in this case, possibly, probably you know, third string quarterback. A lot of like the, the fact that he's a quarterback, the fact that he's short, the fact that he has a, a molar birthmark on his face. I mean, in all seriousness, it's like it, it that that just led to and just throw the Notre Dame thing in there. It led to um, a, a lot more reaction than if they had taken a QB yeah. in the fourth round that, you know, was from, uh, you know, Boise State or something. And, okay, I kind of have it. I don't really remember. Okay, whatever. There's just sort of this extra emphasis put on it. So um, when they took Book, what was your initial thoughts? And, and do you think this is a guy that's a saint for a while? Is this kind of a, a project? What do you, How do you project? I, I, I mean, I... I almost was simultaneously thrown off and unsurprised at the same time. And I almost kind of made the joke that, you know, that, that they, that this is just time to kind of go golfing on Saturday. We're just going to, you know, pick, pick this quarterback and go. I never think it's a bad philosophy when you're not sold on your quarterback position to continue drafting there. Um, and, and any, any um, round higher than four and they likely don't get a cornerback or a long fill, you know, there was needs in the trenches. Uh, I, I think that Ian Book, if nothing else, his mobility kind of stuck out to me more than anything else. And I don't know if that projects as more of turning him into a Taysom Hill-type project or, quite frankly, just having someone on the roster so they can utilize Taysom Hill should Jameis be named the starter in his kind of you know utility role uh, without having to be worried about having you know anyone on the depth chart. Uh, I, I'm not expecting you know, some prophecy to be filled here with, with Ian Book and the birthmark thing, like you said. But, I, I mean, Kirk Cousins, for what it's worth, came out of, the, I believe, the fourth round uh, to be, back, you know, projected as a backup behind Robert Griffin III. Uh, and, you know, now he's a, a pretty decent starting quarterback. So, 
I, I can never rule anyone out, uh, but in terms of him, you know, def- definitively being the successor in New Orleans, I'm not sure that was so much the pick here as much it was having another quarterback on the roster so they can utilize, you know, their quarterback room in, in the unique way that they do. Matty Hudak, our guest, ESPN 1420. All right, Matty, before we let you run, um, what what in your mind, it, a few more questions, what in your mind is the realistic mm-hmm. expectation in terms of win totals in 2021 considering everything, right? You've got you've got a good stability in place with the coach in front office, but it, it you're replacing the most important position, which you've never had to do for, you know, on a permanent basis since Peyton has been there. And you lost, they, 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 they lost a whole lot this off season. I know some folks want to downplay it, but you just, you lost, you lost a lot. Bottom line. Oh, absolutely. And, and everyone that, you know, was very confused with that, with that first pick in, in Peyton Turner. I mean, we, we watched Sheldon Rankins walk, uh, Trey Hendrickson, and and Malcolm, uh, Rose, Mal- I believe, Malcolm Brown, Malcolm yeah, Malcolm Brown, Malcolm yeah. Brown. Okay, <laughs> um, they all departed, and and before Janoris Jenkins left, that was actually you know the position I saw the most of need, and knowing how the Saints kind of prioritize those trenches, uh, so I think that they you know they drafted a solid class in terms of you know at least being thoughtful about trying to kind of fill those holes. Let's just go back to the fact that. The Saints are nine and one in the last two seasons without Drew Brees under multiple quarterbacks and not much time to kind of design systems around them. So uh, it's hard for me to project the win, the win total here. I, I'm not, you know, as confident, as, for lack of a better term, as, as previous seasons. Uh, but I, I do think that, you know, at least for me, the you know coaching staff and the way that they've handled, you know, the loss of a, a quarterback midseason now two seasons. Uh, you know, having a full off season to design it around whoever quarterback may end up taking the field. Uh, I, 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 you know, I've seen a lot of people next year. I, I think they at minimum hit, hit at least eight wins, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if they end up kind of becoming more of a defensive team. This is the first time they've drafted three defensive players back to back since 2009. Um, and, and as a defensive-minded player, you know, myself from my sports background in soccer, that pleases me a lot, but kind of indicates to me that there might be a little changing of the tide in terms of dominance um, on, on, on either side of the ball. So I think just along other things, it'll be interesting to see the Saints' kind of new identity post-true breeze and what that looks like. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'm not ready to know totally just yet. Matty Hudak has been our guest. Uh, SaintsWire.usatoday.com for more content that she has written over there. Uh, you can follow her at Matty Hudak underscore nine four on Twitter. Matty, you said you grew up in the Bay Area. Um, Niner fans are a bit feisty. Um, you know, I don't. I think some folks are surprised when they find out about the. I'm. I'm not even trying to make a joke. Um, some of the violence that takes place at some of their games oh. uh, against opposing fans. I mean, it is. I think it's, you know, in some people's minds, they think, oh, San Francisco, oh, you know, wine and cheese and tech. And no, that that, that, that ain't the Niner fan base. I mean, it is, uh, it's a bit hostile. I wouldn't call it welcoming. Uh, so you grew up there, but with your mom being from New Orleans, uh, you said you grew up a Saints fan and repped it. Um, I guess, I guess you've kind of got some calluses in, in sort of your, your metaphor skin, just kind of just having to, to live in, in hostile territory sports fandom. 
Oh, God, yeah. I, I mean, I, I had a sandwich thrown at my face uh, in high school after the Saints beat the 49ers. Uh, it was a game that Reggie Bush broke his leg. So my, my take on it was, okay, we won the game, but who won the war here? You guys just, you know, kind of destroyed our top running back. Uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're very hostile fans. Um, I've, I've had, you know, condiments thrown at me. It's just kind of like, you know, what, what, what's the point here? Uh, but I, I, I think that there's just this longstanding history. People forget that the Saints and the 49ers, you know, used to be in the same division. Oh, um, and <laughs> right. And my dad, my dad was actually a poor, uh, well, I guess not anymore. He's from Cleveland. So he's a Browns fan. Uh, he said they went to one one football game uh, when the Saints and the Niners were in the same division and one only because my mom uh, likes to, uh, you know, kind of talk uh, and my dad looks around quickly and it's like, Michelle, you are, you know, we're, we're going to get, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of violence potential here. So uh, they stopped attending those games. Uh, but it's almost kind of like we've kind of come full circle, at least with the people I grew up with. Really after that game uh, two seasons ago, that, that duel out, it was almost kind of, you know, a quiet respect level of let's just kind of leave each other alone on a surface level. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I will never forget kind of how some of those uh, instances went growing up. Uh, and, you know, I just our, our fan base doesn't roll like that in terms of throwing things at people. So it was certainly an experience for sure, but definitely taught me to have a thick skin, at least, you know, especially with division rivals and everything. Man, the, the, if, if older, older Saints fans, um, they, you, you ask them, you know, list the, the teams that you hate most. Some of them are going to have Niners one, um, even ahead of the Falcons. Some will have them too, but it all goes back to, you know, the NFC West days when, the Niners were good, crooked, and and there's there's a long history there. But growing up there as a Saints fan, I imagine you've uh, you got plenty of stories. All right, last question: uh, Who is your uh, who's your your favorite player of all time for the Saints? Uh, Lance Moore. Uh, I I I love to see undrafted guys come out there and really make a difference. Um, I just thought he was so electric to watch. Uh, he was you know really that kind of. Last reminder to me of a of a really true speedy receiver that you know wasn't you know Brandon Cooks that stuck around for a long time. Uh, his his two point conversion in the Super Bowl will always stick out to me. Uh, and I just always liked how fun he was um, and and how much like I said he he brought to the table from being an undrafted free agent. Good stuff, Matt. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Anything you want to plug yeah. before we let you go? Uh, well, if anyone is interested in those um, you know trends. Speaking, you know, kind of by those those uh, athletic scores that people look at, I will be kind of having, you know, a, a more in depth series of that coming out on Saints Wire at USA Today, probably within the next week. Uh, so, if, if you're interested in, in kind of looking how the Saints do tend to draft and what they potentially value, uh, that'll probably be coming out in the pipeline quite shortly. Trying to educate more on the RAS scores, I like it. Yes, <laughs> bring stuff. my statistics background back into the game. So, good. Great stuff. We'll be looking out for that. Uh, uh, Saintswire.usa.com at Matty Hudak underscore 94 on Twitter. Matty, appreciate it. All the best, and we'll talk to you in the future. All right. All right. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. You got it. That. Good stuff from, uh, from Matty right there. ESPN1420.com. Condiments. Let's be nice to each other, guys. Come on. Be nice to opposing fans. That goes for all of you. All right, there's plenty of Saints fans out there that haven't exactly been Saints, if you catch my drift. 
ESPN1420.com. Social media. When you are the best of the best at your craft, coming up, we will probably never see a premier athlete not in any form of social media. But there's a few out there that just use it wisely by not using it much at all. And then there's some that just missed the generation that didn't do it at all. But does it do more harm than good? Because the thought is, a publicist will tell you, you can make a lot more this way. I'll explain why that's not true. ESPN1420.com, more of the great Scott Show. Sponsored by Suit Up, coming your way right after this. Got a project that requires equipment that you don't have? Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. If you're listening to ESPN 1420 live on your desktop or mobile device via our mobile app and in connected cards and on smart speakers, it's brought to you by Champagne's Market in the Oil Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. Louisiana Rage Cajun Associate Head Baseball Coach Anthony Babineau will be joining me next hour in studio. We will get uh, into Cajun baseball. Dig in. Looking forward to that. Social media. It's going to be a part of history books for a long time. What it was like before, what it was like after. What was it like before in sports? What was it like after? I, I, I feel like social media for your top-tier athletes hurts their likability and overall approval. Now, maybe for one particular athlete, it helps you like them a little more because you know what their belief system is about other things. And if you feel that way, then you probably feel the opposite about another major athlete. See, athletes share their beliefs. Now you like them a little less. Or athletes maybe years ago liked something on Twitter or followed somebody or some news figure or some political figure, and then they get drafted, and then everyone goes digging, and they say, oh, my God, look at what this guy liked a couple of years ago, and now there's all this judgment. And now even if you try to fight against it, somewhere in the back of your mind, you remember hearing it, you remember seeing it, you remember thinking it, and now it's just you know a little too much. And, and, and you could say that's true of all athletes, but I think for some that just aren't major stars, it, it helps them elevate themselves a little bit more. It gives them, if they're on it a lot, a little more, a wider net, if you will. Some would say notoriety. I guess it depends on what they do. But like for some, it just helps their brand and increases it. But if you are a superstar, what good's going to come from it? In terms of likability. Now, you could say, I don't care about likability. They feel like they're doing something right, and so that doesn't matter. I get all that. I'm talking strictly in terms of likability. Peyton Manning is one of the most likable athletes ever in terms of approval rating and how many people like him or, you know, the least amount of folks that, did you know, didn't like him on SNL. And Peyton, you know, he's given to various... Uh, given to various politicians. He supported a political party. He had some uh, alleged incidents at Tennessee or one in particular and like and all this other stuff, but you don't really hear about that. You don't think about that. Peyton is not on social media at all. Usually when you think about Peyton Manning, you think about family, 
how good he was as a player, the commercials, Saturday Night Live, you know, his head. But for many of you, I'm not speaking for everyone, but for many of you, you're not you're not thinking about too many negative things. And if he's on social media and, you know, oh, he, he tweeted one thing and I feel differently. And yeah, Michael Jordan, not on social media at all. Heck, the only, the, the only thing that's on social media is, you know, the crying Jordan meme or uh, an account that just gives old Jordan quotes about motivation, wanting to beat the opponent and competition. But most of it is all positive. A little bit of it is jokes, and that's that's it. Roger Feder, greatest tennis player of all time on the men's side, on social media doesn't really share much of anything. Very tame. On the other hand, Charles Barkley, extremely opinionated, right? Not on social media. Some of the most likable athletes of the last 50 years would not be as likable or not have as wide a net of likability if they were on social media. It hurts it. Hurts them. But nowadays, you know, kids coming up, they're all going to have it, then they become a great athlete. I mean, it's not going anywhere. It's here to stay. But if one happens to come around that is a iconic type of athlete that has success that makes them a bona fide sure no fire that is bigger than the game in a lot of ways that is that kind of superstar and doesn't have any kind of social media I'll be shocked I'll be shocked Great Scott Show is sponsored by Suit Up. Suit Up! That's right. Suit Up. Come on, guys. You know about Suit Up. Suit Up menswear and tux rentals. You know about Suit Up. That's where you got to go. Right? Got to look good. Got to feel good. You need to rent a tux? They got you. You need to buy a tux. Obviously, you need to buy a suit. They got you. You need to rent a suit. They got you. Great service. Great prices. Great product. Great selection. Great atmosphere. Incredible customer service. Locally owned and operated. All the wide, most popular brands in the world. The people are awesome. The suits are awesome. The prices are the best. Whatever your price point is, you're going to go in and say, here's what I need. Here's what I'm looking for. Help me. They're going to help you. Suit up. Suit up. They're going to get you suited up. All right? You need to book a wedding? They got you. Okay? You get enough groomsmen in that wedding, you get enough groomsmen in that wedding, all rent from there, then the, then the, then the groom's tux, that's going to be on the house. going to be free. You're going to have half off for the ring bearer as well. Five or more groomsmen. Whether it's alterations, right? Whether it's getting a new suit, whether it's renting the suit, whatever. They can do it all, and it's locally owned and operated. You're supporting local, and you're looking good, and you're saving money. It is a win, win, win across the board. Suit up! Suit up. When you go, tell them you heard about it from Scott Prather. I would greatly appreciate that. Located between Rooms to Go and Lafayette Shooters over there on Ambassador Caffrey next to Dabula, a Lebanese restaurant. Suit up. Suit up. When, we're, when we uh, take this break, we'll come back. Second hour coming your way. Anthony Babineau in studio.